Welcome to Joyful Marketing. I'm Simone Soul, and I teach you how to get your life coaching practice fully booked without having to pay for ads, buy Instagram followers, or complicated sales funnels. It's not rocket science, and you can do it too. Listen on to find out how. Hello. So I am sitting here today with my co-conspirator in this upcoming class that I'm offering for the first time that we are offering for the first time. It's called the shame clinic. By the time you're listening to this, it's going to start on the week after on the 19th of September. And if you are listening after this, just know that it already happened. (laughs) It started on the 19th of September. And so I'm here with David Bedrick, my co-teacher for the course and just my actual teacher in real life. Hi, David. Mm -hmm. Hey Simone, good to sit with you. I'm I got this big if you're just audio, I had this big grin on my face because it's a pleasure to sit with you and to think about these ideas and teachings together. Ditto. You know, I have been busy introducing you to my people. And how I normally introduce you is, you know, David is a therapist. He is an (laughs) ex-attorney and an author and a researcher who has researched and written extensively on shame and who calls himself a psychological activist. And I want to ask more about that later, but, you know, I started learning from reading David's books and learning from and taking courses with him a good while ago. I can't remember exactly when, and uh, I did individual work with him and his has been the most radically different and life-changing work on shame that I have ever encountered. Ever Mm -hmm. since I was, I think probably my early twenties, I had the acute awareness that shame was something that I struggled with and that it was something that was holding me back ever Mm -hmm. since I was sort of conscious enough to have a sense of the magnitude of the work I wanted to do in the world and saw my self keep tripping up over and over and over again in my attempts to you mm-hmm. know express that inside me it was the same thing over and over again shame 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 i kept running up against shame and i've been trying to solve shame for a decade and a half well actually probably longer but i'm talking about the time since i, I knew that it was shame right yeah. i've been trying i'm a coach i've been trained by some of the best programs. I learned the best tools working with the mind and the body and this and this and that. I've studied all the psychology things. I've studied all the healing things and nothing even came close to really taking shame at its roots and uprooting it. And the way I described it to David is if imagine shame was like a big, scary tiger or something, nothing came to actually defanging the beast as David's work has for me. Like Mm. when you have a tiger without fangs, it's just a big animal. (laughs) And (laughs) so since I've been so radically transformed by David's work, and since my life, the quality of my life, the texture of my life, the colors of my life have become Mm. radically different as a result of doing the unshaming work with David, I could not stop thinking about how the fuck do I bring this to my people? Because I want everybody who follows me 
to learn from David. And I want this transformation to be made available to everybody. And so after much contemplation, I successfully talked David into doing a collaboration. And still pinned behind my back. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. To co-create a course, because, you know, David, you're more, uh, I mean, you're a therapist and you're sort of more therapeutically focused and normally. And I was like, you know what? My people are entrepreneurs. I'm a business coach. Not all of them are entrepreneurs. Actually, many of them are creators and artists and teachers of all stripes and practitioners. And I want to gather all of my people and present this this to them in a way that's going to give them the most profound transformation and healing of their lives in five weeks. And so we endeavored to create that together. David, as the you know, the creator of this body of incredible work on shame and me as a dedicated student who has had a lot of time to learn this and integrate this into my life and is living the results in many ways. We have teamed up together to create this five-week intensive course, which is called the Shame Clinic. And that is my introduction to David and how I want to introduce him because that's the effect he's had on me. I'll Mm -hmm. turn over the mic to you. Should I introduce myself? Is that what my... I don't know. Just don't you have words to say? (laughs) I always have words to say. Yeah. If I would introduce introduce myself, I would say I am the founder of a institute called the Santa Fe Institute for Shame-Based Studies. And you said some of my other credentially kinds of things. I've written three books, but my deepest credential is not out of those things, although those things are really important to me. And I've worked hard at those. My deepest credential, Simone and everyone, is I grew up in a violent home with somebody who, with a a violent father, it could have been somebody else, and a mother who was too disempowered to witness it. That means to say, oh my gosh, this is bad. Father, stop it. David, are you okay? Let's act like this is happening. And because she didn't do that, I internalized a dismissal of myself. That makes sense. Nobody said, David, that's really bad. Are you okay? Don't you touch that person. Don't you hurt my son. No one acted that way. So I took in that treatment towards myself. And that led me to want to study shame internally in my own personal life, connected me to wanting to say, other people experience this. Something's happening to you, but the world acts like, or somebody acts like it's your fault, or you don't really matter what's happening to you. Yeah. I have to read how you defined psychological activist, because I think from that heart, you have become, you've declared yourself a psychological activist and you just, (laughs) this is now your Facebook profile intro, which is how I read. And I was like, that is Mm -hmm. amazing. Here's what it says. Here's how David describes what Mm -hmm. it means to be a psychological activist. He is being an ally to the marginalized voices inside individuals and the culture at large. Mm-hmm. I don't think, I don't, I haven't heard of anyone putting it in this way in terms, in the context of psychology, in the context of therapy, even in the context mm-hmm. of coaching. Hey, I'm an ally to the marginalized voice inside you. And then I was thinking about how many of us, you know, we talk a lot about, for example, racial marginalization, economic marginalization, mm-hmm. political marginalization, gender marginalization, et cetera, but not so much about psychological marginalization. Yeah. Right? The, Can you tell us yeah. a little bit about that? I just made that up psychological margin, marginalization. Oh, no, that's exactly right. It's yeah. an internalization. We have an inner government. And that inner government says, David, act confident and secure 
and things like that. And the way to teach is to look like this and act like this. And then other professionals are not like that. Yeah. Right. And you, you're so brilliant at that. Seriously, you bring all these different aspects of you to bear. And I think that's part of the charisma that you bring. And then that inner government says, this is how to handle that. Oh, you feel insecure? Okay, take some deep breaths, go for a run, do some positive affirmations, and get a good night's sleep so you can not act insecure. So then what happens to what we're calling insecurity? Marginalize it, mm-hmm. et cetera, or all the other things. What happens to all the kinds of you using the word fuck? Well, maybe that's no good. You shouldn't do that. But then what happens to that passionate, intense, breaking the rules woman? Should we put her aside? Mm-hmm. We marginalize her. And, you know, you saw, I just wrote about this. Someone came to me saying, you know, I don't feel lit up anymore. And I used to think about how if somebody came to me saying, I don't feel lit up, what I used to try to do is, hey, let's help you get lit up again, right? And how do we get you to get lit up? What if you did this? What if you tried this? I'm going to coach you in this way to see if you can feel lit up. And Mm -hmm. in our society, that's considered the right thing to do because, oh my gosh, like, of course you should always feel lit up. And then, then what happens to Mm -hmm. the part of you or the, the way of way of being the, the kind of experiences where it's not lit up. There is no light and what's there is darkness instead. Mm -hmm. And we run furiously Mm -hmm. away from darkness because we have marginalized both darkness and being in the dark. So if you're in the dark, let us try to pull you out of there as soon as possible. Let's, let's find a lamp. Let's find some matches. Let's find a flashlight. Let's add some light. And then because we're so busy trying to add light, we don't let ourselves sit in the darkness. And when we don't let ourselves sit in the darkness, our eyes never adjust to darkness enough to see the stars yeah. in the night sky. It's beautiful. I love and that you wrote about that. It, mm-hmm. And I also talked about how, hey, you're so eager to feel lit up. Guess what? Some people travel miles and miles and miles to go out into the wilderness where there is no light at night. And yeah. it's just pitch dark. And yeah. people seek that out on purpose. They go camp out just to be able to be in the dark. What if we did that? So darkness is what's been marginalized, right? So like like the examples you said, insecurity is what's been marginalized. Timidness, lack of energy, depression, feeling low, feeling angry, feeling, you know, rebellious, all these things. Have let me been, tell you, let me tell you, I'm sorry. I, I cut no, you I was just gonna, all these okay? things. I'm a New Yorker. I kind of go back. I'm used to calling it. <laughs> oh, wait a second. I break it. We, and we say, break you off. Can you break me off? That means take it from wherever. But and those are qualities that people might associate with more negative qualities, right? The insecurities yeah. and things like this. But not too long ago, I was invited to teach a group of women on, it was called like, like this feminine in the shadow or something like that, I think was the title. Mm. And the person, the first interview they made to, as part of this teaching, they said, what's in the shadow of the feminine? What's in the shadow for women? And the shadow means marginalized psychologically, right? I push it away. Psychology would call what you're calling, what you're talking about, shadow. Shadow means I'm not identified with that. I wish I weren't like that. I'm going to try not to be that way. So I'm introducing that idea. And this woman said, what's in the shadow? Are all these interesting qualities that are nuanced and difficult to to get a grasp on? Can you help? And I said, let me tell you the main things are in the the shadow for a woman. Intelligence. Mm -hmm. What do you mean? Because many women don't feel free to be fucking brilliant. 
mm-hmm. brilliant in their way. I'm not saying it has to be an IQ brilliant. And they don't even know that they are that way because it's been, because the intelligence that that person has been offered, you should be more quiet. You should listen. Other people know better. That happens. Beauty. Mm-hmm. What I mean by beauty is knowing oneself as beautiful. I feel, mm-hmm. be- I experience myself as a beautiful person. That is rare. I'm not saying that somebody else would say that's a good, pretty picture. I'm saying to you inside, when you check yourself, feel like I'm a beautiful person. Beauty is marginalized because if I felt like I'm a beautiful person, huge things happen. They did a study around experiences of beauty. If a person feels beautiful, particularly young girls, they speak up more, they share their intelligence more, their hand-eye coordination changes, like the way they move their body just because they feel beautiful or not. But David, if every all the girls and women felt beautiful, who would buy all the makeup and the plastic surgery and the diets yeah. and the pills and yeah. the <laughs> and yeah. and then <laughs> yeah that's right those companies bank they bank on shame they bank on you not feeling beautiful and believing it mm-hmm. and not thinking that's gross that's an insult they don't have yeah. if they were shameless they would say that's an insult treating me like that if they have shame inside they'll think I, they'll just believe they're not beautiful. They won't feel offended or hurt. They'll just think, what should I do to get beautiful? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Isn't that incredible? Such fundamental qualities. Mm-hmm. Intelligence, mm-hmm. beauty, I think also size. And here's what I mean by that. I don't just mean physical size, like you should be small and thin and skinny. Although yeah. obviously that too, hugely. I also mean by size, I mean how much you take up space in the world. Incredible. Right? And the message is be as small as possible. Don't be intrusive. Don't make yourself known. Don't step on other people's toes. So much so that over and over, I coach people on teaching their bodies that it's safe to take up as much space as is required for their bodies to actually fucking relax. And that is some of the hardest work, most challenging work that most Mm -hmm. people ever do, learning how to take up space. It's so in, it's so internalized. It's so people are so used to it, and women are so used to it. Not all. Some are. Some have resisted that or conditioned their loved in a way to say be as big as a person you are. But it's so it's so common. I worked with a woman once. I tell her story in, in my book, and she was in the military, and she could do all the stuff the guys could do, lift these, I don't remember, there was special tires that go on these huge military trucks. She could move those and flip those and run and do all these exercises that she was supposed to do. And then they did something, Simone, called tape testing. They, She said they put this measuring tape. So they put it around my hips and my butt, she would say. And then they said, sorry, nobody should take this in. And they said, you're too fat. You have to go to that camp in the military. And then at night, check this out, at night, her and other women did this. They would take, some people know what this thing called preparation H is. It's an ointment that shrinks hemorrhoids. She would wrap her thigh. This is gross, but this is this is the, not just one person. This is a psychology. She'd wrap her hips and thighs in this stuff and then wrap it in cellophane and sleep like that at night. I have done that when I was a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Did you really? So many yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it's, yeah. it was very normal. Like, oh, here's uh, apparently does something, something to your legs and they get smaller and then you'll be skinnier yeah. if you do this, wrap your yeah. legs in cellophane. I've done that. 
<laughs> I've met many people. Right. That. And if you're doing yeah. that self to yourself physically, now we're at the psychological level, then you're then your size issue. How do I make myself small? How do I Smaller, not be take too up big? less How space? Do space? Yep. How do I not act too strong? How do I act not act confident? Like I know what I'm doing. All those qualities then get wrapped in that shame area. And the person starts acting demure and sweet, which is lovely, but other qualities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she said to me, she came yeah. to me saying, I'm thinking I want to go become a fire person. Do you think that's too much for me? Mm. Can you feel her mentality? And then we worked on this, her being as big as she was. And she's a, and she ended up becoming a fire person and a medical technician for emergency vehicles, both. <laughs> Why? Because she was a big person and she could take yeah. on big things. Exactly. And there was no reason for her to keep wrapping her personality and her powers in cellophane. Operation cellophane, right? Yeah. What a yeah. metaphor, right? Yeah, that's the metaphor. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we are now yeah. talking about we're talking about shame and all the yeah. ways that we wrap ourselves in shame and don't let ourselves take up space as we want to. I have specific questions I want to ask David, but let's first begin with here. Listen, we're offering a five-week course on unshaming you, breaking you out of the jail of shame, releasing you from the grip of shame. We can put it all kinds of ways. Why, David, is shame? (laughs) Actually, this is, you've never said this. I said this. You, at least you've never said it in these words. Why? When you say it, I'm going to listen in. If you're interested in (laughs) self-development, healing, growth, mm-hmm. spiritual growth, whatever. Why is shame the most cost-effective thing you can work on? Meaning you get the biggest growth, healing, whatever bang for your buck. You just work mm-hmm. with shame and then everything else. And you're not, this is not David's words, my words, everything else sorts itself out. Why is that? <laughs> Working on shame, what I call unshaming, flips the script on what almost everybody's doing to develop themselves. Let me say what I mean by flips, flips the script. And we're already implying that instead of how can I be more beautiful? How can I be more confident? Let me try this. Let me try that. Unshaming says, let's get to know you as you are who you are. And let's believe in your direction. Let's believe in what's happening inside of you and nourish that. And if you nourish that, then people start connecting with themselves. It's deeper than all the other things. I'm not learning how to do the right or wrong thing. I'm learning how to do David. And that sticks in a person. And it has such a core foundation of that's what I'm about. I'm about me. I'm not right or wrong. Is that a good answer, David? It's David's answer. Is that a good way to be? It's the way David is. You think that's okay? I like that person. That essential shift, which is sounds simple, but it's very rare for people to tell me, Anything about themselves, I don't want to be too general, that's deeply true about themselves when it comes to a difficulty. People don't know themselves. No one has said, you mentioned this in one of our talks, nobody has said, what's it like being you in the dark? What's it like being you 50 pounds more than you think you should be or someone told you? What's it like being you a queer person, a woman of color in the world? Well, what's it like experientially? Because then you meet incredible things about people. So once people start walking into that doorway and learning then some skills and approaches to do that, but mostly to change their paradigm. So they're saying, oh my gosh. And people say to me all the time, I've never not only been treated that way. I just did a three-hour teaching for another group 
people wrote to me watching me work with other people. They said, I've never seen anybody be treated that way. And Simone, I'm not doing magic. I mean, it is magic, but it's not me doing magic. It's all I'm doing is saying, I want to know you, but I know I shouldn't be this way and I should be more open and I should be more trusting. And I, I know, I know, but I want to know you as you are. And the person eventually says, I don't even know how to answer that question. No one's asked me to do an inquiry into who I am, even though I've been doing this my whole life. I've, whatever that strategy is, I don't really know, but it's not that hard. Within 10, 15 minutes, I can help almost any single person make contact with something they didn't know. And it's a central thing. It's not a minor thing. It's essential part of their being. Yeah. It's like meeting yourself for the first time because up until now, maybe nobody has, has ever tried to meet you. Not just the version of you that you yeah. perform and, and that you're trying to be, but the real mm-hmm. you. Nobody has asked mm-hmm. you with truly mm-hmm. loving, genuine curiosity. Yeah. What is mm. what is your experience of yourself and the world? What's it like? And mm. you said somebody said you know I've never seen anyone be treated that way, right? And so treated that way meaning that kind of you know loving curiosity about you and when you see someone be treated that way for the first time and when you are treated that way for the first time. And you are in the presence of an energy of treating people that way for the first time. And you experience that again and again. I think what happens is that you develop a vocabulary and a grammar for relating yourself mm-hmm. in a completely new way. That's beautiful. And that is that I think of as our aim mm-hmm. for the five weeks of the shame clinic. I want you to have a whole new language, frame of reference, a whole new emotional vocabulary for talking to yours, not, not even actually just talk before you talk to yourself, seeing yourself and knowing yourself. And you know what it feels like to me? It feels like a thawing. You might've been frozen. That's what freezes people. When you're told, don't take up so much space. Don't be like this. Don't be like this. Be a little bit more like this, a little little bit less like that. What happens is that you as you naturally want to be. And so, for example, think of an animal who is in the wild and now it has been roaming everywhere. A cheetah has been roaming everywhere and now is in a little cage in a zoo, right? And what that cage does is it freezes the animal because the animal can't naturally exercise its natural range of motion, its natural range of instinct. So what it does is that all of those get frozen. And when that animal gets back in the wild, what needs to happen is a kind of unfreezing of like the nervous system. Beautiful. Unfreezing of its sense of self Mm -hmm. in relation to its environment. Yeah. Unfreezing of its instincts. That's right. The essential instinct. That's what we're going for in the shame planet. It's amazing. As you're talking, I I have all these stories that just zillions of them in my head or in my heart. But I'm thinking about a woman who came to me who stuttered, mm-hmm. right? So, and I'm not going to mimic her, right? But yeah, yeah. So this is not a mimic. This is just how she would be. So she would say, David, like that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm not mimicking her. I'm just describing her. And she wanted help with that because she wanted to be able to be, she wrote poetry and she wanted to be able to speak poetry in public. Mm, beautiful. But yeah. now when she stutters, she doesn't want to stutter. She's nervous about it. She thinks she shouldn't stutter. I can see why. 
right? In, a, in our culture, let's just think about it as a diversity, not as a problem for a second. But she thinks I shouldn't do that. And I understand it. And it makes her more nervous. And then she studies, stutters more and the whole thing. So I said, what have you done about it? Well, I've been to a speech pathologist and they helped me breathe and calm down. And then the stuttering gets a little bit better. Hmm. Now, nothing wrong with that. That's great. Now I'm thinking, what happens if we unshame? What happens if we defrost the instinct, the animals? Then I say to her, let's do something different. She says, what? I said, let's stutter together. She's already looking at me like no one's, I can cry even saying this, no one's ever asked me to stutter with them. No one's ever experienced her. So she starts doing, I said, I'm going to do it too. I don't know, I'm making up a name, Jane. I don't remember what her name is, right? I'm not going to use it anyway. So she says, David, I say, Jane. I said, David, Jane. We're going back and forth, right? And then, listen, now I'm going to exaggerate a piece of it so everyone can hear. Then she goes, David. I'm exaggerating. That's that's happening in a lower volume, right? Yeah. David. Now, can you hear the force at the end of it? That something's pushing its way out? It's like something's stopping me. Moan, right? Yeah. So I'm brilliant. I said, that's such an interesting burst out thing. Mm. Let's try bursting out more. Mm. And now we're doing the opposite of calming down and all that stuff. How come? Because I think that's wise about stuttering. I don't have any idea. I just think that's what she does. I want to know her. It's not a theory anymore. It's a person who's doing something. So I say, let's do that. And she starts going, David, David. And I said, let's use all kinds of other words. You pick a word that comes out of your mouth that that you would want to burst out with. Guess what word she uses? What? Fuck. Right? <laughs> so she's going, fuck, fuck, fuck. And I go, fuck, fuck, fuck. And pretty soon, Simone, she's going like this. I hope everybody's ears, if you're hurt by cursing, close your ears. No, nobody who listens to this is hurt right. by cursing. Then she starts going like this. Listen to this. <laughs> fuck, fuck, fuck. No stuttering. She's like, fuck, fuck. And she's like yelling out. She's ecstatic. <laughs> like, you know, she's like having the best time of her life. She's having a great time. And she, I'm like, looking at him like, what's going on? She goes, oh my gosh, I'm so upset with the world. I have all this fun. She's just yelling and screaming and there's no stuttering. What's happening? We defrosted the animal and her animal has a lot of fuck and explication, exclamation and passion in her. And her poetry can have a lot of passion and she's trying to be more reasonable. So now she has to go to her poetry readings and belt out all this passion and stuff. She can't quiet herself down. Then she's in cellophane, right? Then she's shrinking. And I got to tell you the last cool detail. The last time we worked together, she started making uh, hip hop rap poetry out of stutters. She would say, no so I'm going to give deliver a poetry reading, right? <laughs> now she's loving her creative spirit and people are fascinated by her voice. What did we do? We loved her. We, t- we said, what are you like as a stutterer? Not as a person getting over the stuttering, not as the embarrassment. We know it's embarrassing. I can imagine that. I try to get over pimples and whatever it is so people don't see them on my nose. So I understand why she doesn't want to be seen in a way that the world doesn't love so much. But now she's out. And now she has a life. What's the life? She's got to get over. She's got to be willing to be more herself, not less herself. And then her creativity blossoms. Yeah. Wow. I don't even have the words to describe how beautiful that is. I know. It's It's profound. Yeah. Here's what I want for this shame claim. Before you go and try to fix yourself, to heal yourself, to improve yourself, to try to be more confident, to believe in yourself more, to go out there and do more of whatever, to achieve your goals. Let's take you out of the cellophane and Mm -hmm. thaw the wild animal 
that you are and get to know them Mm -hmm. and to learn about what their instincts are, learn how they walk, learn where they want to go, learn how they want to hunt, learn Mm -hmm. how they want to be nourished and cared for, learn when they want to be with others, learn how they want to be alone. I want to know how that defrosted thawed animal moves and speaks and roars and sleeps. I want to know what that animal is like in the summer. I want to know what that animal is like in the winter. I want to know what that animal is like in the darkness. And I want to know what that animal is like in the light when it's young and when it's old, when it's excited and when it's sad. I want to get to know that animal first. Let's do that. Let's do that. And then let's talk about what you want to achieve and what you want to be more of and yeah. how you want to grow. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. that yeah. is what we're going to do. Yeah. That's gorgeous. And how that, I love that you did that in that way, that inquiry. And then we have skills that we're going to teach to make that inquiry powerful. Yes. yes. But, but that inquiry, how does like, what led you, David, to even ask such a question when no one ever asks? Mm. And then how did you help her learn that there are words and stuff? That's the kind of thing, that the defrosting. And then to your ending questions, how are the, how are the people who are going to attend make their outer life better? By living more into those qualities, Amen. not by erasing them, getting rid of them, marginalizing them, shaming them, but by saying, oh boy, now I'm really scared. What? Of being more whatever that is, more in the dark, more super sensitive to every detail, more loud, whatever that is, uncellophane. I like the way you you took that metaphor. Uncellophane um, and defrost. Yeah, uncellophane, <laughs> uncellophane did it, I just said. <laughs> uncellophane did it. Yeah. yeah. Now, having said all this in the context of shame, I want to ask you one more thing that a lot of people assume, which is that the sense of shame, the sense of something's not right with you, the sense of a part of you needs to be cellophane, <laughs> a part of you needs to be, <laughs> you know, that a lot of people believe, and I certainly used to believe that you need that yeah. so yeah. that you can be a better version of it, so that you can do the right thing in society, so that you have a moral center, so that you can be accountable to others, so that you are a good member of society, that you need a little bit of that, that sort of a controlling Mm -hmm. mechanism. And so there, you know, a little bit of healthy shame, never hurt anybody, right? That's actually, I think, a prevailing wisdom in a lot of places. And I know that you have a different perspective. Tell us about that. Yeah. It's like, it all sounds good, David, to be myself, but what about when I need to get a job? What about if I need to find a suitable partner? And then if I'm just like out there going, fuck, 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 (laughs) tell me, (laughs) don't I need to... Just don't I legitimately need to have that check of shame? Like, oh, maybe that's not appropriate. Yeah. Simone, I have so many thoughts and I've written so much about that question. But I have to say the first thing that happens to me when you were saying, maybe you need a little bit of that healthy shame. I was imagining you, you weren't telling me that, right? But I was imagining someone inside or outside saying that. And I felt my spirit start to get foggy or not in a, not going into the dark, but I felt myself starting to disappear. Mm. If I, I was letting it in, like, David, let that in, see what happens to you. And my, my shoulders went down in like a way that I wanted, to, I started like collapsing inside. 
almost like I'm being hypnotized. Oh, I do. Okay. I'm exaggerating, but yeah. And I start believing it. And pretty soon I'm listening to almost anything you'll say. What else should I do? What else should I be? Because I'm losing contact with myself. These are natural instincts that are coming out of me. And you're saying, don't trust myself essentially, not just don't trust. Sometimes it's wrong to say the word fucking in certain places, but to tell me to that there's something good about that shaming quality, the sense that something's wrong with me quality, my spirit starts to shrink. And I think, what can I trust? Should I just give myself up totally and find some ways of being? Give me the rules then so I can do it right. Give me the line so I can get onto the stage and, pr and produce them. So one thing I'm thinking about, which I hadn't thought about before, is that loss of inner connection and inner authority when one believes such a thing is mm. so profound. One can still make a decision without any shame. Mm. I'm talking, I'm going to go into a business where people are not going to want to curse. I think I'm not going to do it then. That doesn't mean I have something wrong with me for having that big screaming fuck in me. That's just a good decision in certain situations. So there's nothing that's just fine. I can decide, I can decide not to show you anything that's in me because I think you're not worthy or you're, you're not somebody I want to even be intimate enough to show who I am. So you get to decide. I'm not going to take this big part of me in front of you. I can say, oh, great, Simone. Thanks. Great to hearing from you. Even if you say something gross and I can walk on. But if I, let's imagine, I'm a Jewish person. I am. Let's imagine you say something grossly anti-Semitic. I could decide I'm not going to say, oh, damn, I'm not going to confront you at all. I think it's a waste of time. I don't think you're going to learn anything. I don't want that's an intimate conversation for me to even confront you. You're not worth it. And I can go, ha, 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 and I could walk away. Now, if I walk away thinking something's wrong with me for wanting to confront you, why am I angry? Why am I hostile? I will damage myself. I will lay me up at night. I will get cramps. I'll get physical symptoms. I'll ask people why I'm getting, why I can't hold myself back. How come I get so upset? I'll go to therapy to stop being upset and stop being angry and stop being depressed. All of that will happen. But if I make a decision because I just think, I don't feel like telling you what I'm really, who I really am. I know what's in me. I want to be, I'm going to bark in your face. I feel it. I know it's in me. I have a yes to me. Hmm. That's a totally different decision-making moment. And am, I, am I losing the thread of where you wanted to go? No, 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 not at all. Not at all. I think yeah. what, what has happened is that people are so used to shame and the shaming stories and shaming paradigms based on the norms of the society, norms of goodness and worthiness dictate their decision and actions that they don't trust themselves to make decisions without it. It's like, like when we say, oh, we need shame to, we need a little bit of healthy shame to, so that we can X, Y, Z. Like we've never, most of us have never known a world, a life in which we are mm -hmm. making decisions without shame. And so mm -hmm. if you don't know what that's like, how can you trust mm -hmm. yourself with it? Like, how can you trust that you have the, the mm -hmm. faculty and the capacity? And in fact, the more you trust yourself and the more you trust your instincts and the more you listen to yourself and take directions from the inside, maybe the more coherent your decisions will be with your own values, right? Inst more. Instead of less, instead of, if you want to be accountable to others, if you want to be a good member of your community, if you want to love other people, if you want to, you know, mm -hmm. uh, exist in a certain way and in, in the fellowship of others, what if being free of shame, you will discover that your decision-making apparatus is 
more reliable than anything mm. that you could take dictation from, from the outside. That's beautifully said. Yeah. When shame enters, that whole apparatus gets dismantled. Distorted, yeah. A person's genuine, genuine experience of other people. Genuine empathy doesn't come from being shamed. You lose touch with yourself, my your, your own humanity, and therefore your humanity is also invisible to me. Yeah. So it doesn't really get people there. And then so much of what people are managing with shame, I'm going to have to manage myself. I have to manage anger management or whatever it's going to do. I have to make sure I'm managing certain aspects of myself through shame. It also has many bad side effects. Because if I try to manage my assertiveness, people are going to start saying, you seem really judgmental and aggressive, David. How come they see, how come they're calling me that? As opposed to assertive, because I'm holding the energy back and then it shoots out, leaks out. Either leaks out and you kind of go, oh, that was an interesting elbow you just gave me in that sarcastic shot. Or it leaks out inside. If I can't be assertive enough to use my power, I will use it against myself. Then I'll go home and I'll beat myself up about whatever qualities. So it's not like it's not like I didn't do that and it's done. If you split off your sensitivity as a as a human being, I'm not going to be so sensitive. So people can give me painful messages and feedback and I'm not going to get hurt. That person's going to get injured. They're going to get cuts. They're going to get bruises. They're going to be awake at night feeling hurt. They're going to get pains that they think they shouldn't have. It doesn't go away. It's a suppressive mechanism. We're talking about it. This the kind of shame that people are thinking is unhealthy. It's a suppressive mechanism. When things suppressive, suppressed, it doesn't come out good. It comes out really bad. People become, anyway, all those things express themselves in ways, and then they don't know what to do about it. Then the person gets drunk. And all of a sudden, they get free to be themselves. And then they go way, way wild because there's nobody at home, right? And so <laughs> they're so drunk. And then they don't come to me saying, I have an alcohol. I have a problem because I hold myself back too much. And then I loosen up. They come and they say, I have an alcohol problem. And I think you don't have an alcohol problem. You have a suppression problem and you use alcohol to get yourself free. Let's do that in another way. You don't have to use alcohol to get out a little bit. Right. So people come with the wrong problems. They come with these other things alcohol and this and that, and I get into rages and I have self-talk and I have all these other things that are the result of having shame suppress their system. That's maybe too complicated to me to say it better, but the, the example. No, no, no. That's, yeah. hey, my yeah. people are really smart. They love. Oh, yeah, you're them. right. Right. Thank <laughs> you. Smack me. For that. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's yeah. like, you know, I, I keep mm-hmm. talk, going back to the animals in a, in a zoo metaphor because I'm fascinated by that for some reason. And, you know, animals who are encaged develop physical problems and behavioral problems, right. That they, that they don't observe from animals in the wild. And it's like, Oh, this, this tiger is really depressed. It's really acting out in strange ways. Let's fix its behavioral problems. It's like, no, it doesn't have behavioral problems. It's in a cage where it's not supposed to be. That's what's happening. Right. So today I introduced David and we talked about what shame Mm -hmm. is and how it operates and really what the antidote to it is, which is something that we so rarely, if ever, encounter, which is a truly loving, genuine inquiry into who you are when you've been defrosted and and unwrapped from the cellophane. Mm -hmm. And when when your instincts are returned to the wild, the question of What's it like to be you? Yeah, you wish you were this or that. I get it. But what's it like to be you? Tell me about your experience so I can know you. 
-hmm. Let's get to know you. Mm -hmm. That is the antidote. And that is what Mm -hmm. we want to deliver to you and also to teach you to how to Mm -hmm. self-facilitate. Now, that's part one of the conversation. Tune into part two. It's going to be published tomorrow for the second part of our conversation on the actual shamanic process of getting unshamed. Hey, if you want a shot of fresh inspiration and actionable tips to improve your marketing every single week in your inbox, you better get on my email list. Sign up to receive my free ebook called 20 Unsolicited Copy Tips. It's been known to get people to come out of the woodwork and ask to work with you. So get on that link in the show notes and I'll see you in your inbox next time.